My name is Lex, and this week on Spidey Signals, me and my co-host Alex discuss Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's Master Planner Saga, the social mores of 60s Marvel, and Hot Dr. Pepper. Get ready to face your destiny, because it's time for Spidey Signals. Welcome back to Spidey Signals, the podcast where two guys with the same name talk about Spider-Man. I'm Lex. And I'm Alex. Last week, uh, we were joined by a friend of the show, Sir B, and we talked about uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my general reaction to it. That what you heard from me was mine, which was pained silence. Uh, I, I'm laughing. I'm laughing like a person in a straitjacket would. Like, I'm glad I never have to think about uh, turn off the dark ever again. Outside of whatever ranking we do at the end of this, if that's a, even a fucking thing we do this season, I, I don't know. Um, we haven't we haven't been ranking the non movie things. So yeah, it's, who gives a shit? I'm glad I never gives, have to think about it again. Exactly. And, you know, I, I always say that I love doing the guest episodes because I love having other people on. Uh, but, you, you know, this that, that episode was a fucking nightmare. And, you know, thank <laughs> God we had somebody else to share that. We, al- we always have to call in backup when we do the worst shit. Like we had Phoenix on when we did the uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 because that was just so bad. Oh, God, we had, yeah. We no. had to call in backup. That was great. Sometimes you need a, you need some, a third person to, to bring you out of the, the depths of hell. Uh, but this week we're talking about something that's actually good. Yeah, real good. Yeah, uh, we're talking about the Master Planner Saga. Uh, this is actually probably going to be a pretty short episode because we're only reading three comic books. Relatively, uh, yeah. Relatively, yeah. Uh, these comic books are Amazing Spider-Man 31, 32, and 33, which were released from September 9th to November 11th of 1965. So they're the oldest thing we've talked about uh, on the podcast either season. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really early stuff. Uh, the The dates on the actual comic, uh, like the, the cover dates say like they came out in like 1966. Uh, some of them did, oh, but they were, yeah. they were the published, the actual date they were published were September 9th through uh, November 11th of 1965. Uh, we also don't have uh, any any information on who did the coloring for this. I want to assume St- uh, Steve Ditko did, but I don't know for certain. All we have is script and plot and artwork and the lettering. And speaking of that, the script and the editing was done by Stan Lee. Uh, the plot and the artwork was done by Steve Ditko. Uh, and the lettering was done by Sam Rosen and Artie Simic. Uh... Obviously, there's no real need to introduce any of these guys. Uh, you know who they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is this is toward the end of uh, the this, the lead at run. I believe it ends around issue thirty eight. Uh, and th- there's a whole lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff that we'll probably talk about in the the fun facts section about the the making of these three issues and how things were were pretty tenuous between uh, Stan and Steve at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it, it's uh, it's a really interesting story. But uh, Alex, do you have any personal experiences with the Master Planner saga? Not predominantly. Um, I've reread a lot of, well, rather read for the first time when I was younger. I had a couple of compendiums. I collected some Leave It co-run stuff, but it I don't recall where it ended. It didn't get terribly far in, and I never actually finished it. So if I did read this, I certainly didn't remember it. So this was a, another fresh comic experience for me. Yeah, uh, I also had sort of similar uh, issues of Lee Ditko, which I think ended around the time of, I want to say like the first, inf- like the, either the first Enforcers issue or like the second Dr. Octopus appearance. Uh, but it wasn't until years later that I ended up, you know, getting uh, compendi- full-on compendiums and reading through everything. Uh, but I remember specifically when I was a little kid, I had a book called, uh, I think, something like Stan Lee's Ultimate Marvel Universe or something. Uh, it was one of those books that had a little audio module on the side where there were little audio <laughs> clips from Stan that you could listen to. I've talked about this book on the podcast before. Uh, I, I love that. It's really <laughs> sure. Why not? A lot of it has nothing to do with Spider Man, but it's a really, really good book. And it's 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 just Stanley sort of looking back on his his career in Marvel, uh, from like you know his first stuff that he wrote for Captain America all the way up to. Uh, the 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 very late stuff that he worked on like with like Silver Surfer in the eighties, uh, but it's a really good book. And they specifically, uh, there's a, there's a a large sequence where he talks about uh this issue specifically thirty three because it's the main one that everyone remembers, uh, which has the the art for our our episode, which I I think I did a really good job on that art. I really like the way it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I remember hearing about it a lot. It's obviously been recreated so many times in the adaptations we've talked about in Homecoming, in Spectacular, uh, partially in the the Marvel uh, t- t- uh, PS4 video game. It's just a really iconic comic. And, you know, you go back and read it and it's really good. I, I, I can't speak highly enough about it. Yeah, we're going to get into it. But this is quality stuff. It is. Uh, so, yeah, Alex, you want to just start uh, taking us to the plot here? Absolutely. Right away. Uh, As we said, this is issues 31, 32 and 33 of the original Amazing Spider-Man run. And we're just going to get right into the first one, issue 31, which begins in the dead of night with a small task force. This issue has a this issue has a great title. All of them do. This one's called If This Be My Destiny. Mm hmm. Which I think a lot of people also interchangeably call uh, the Master Planner saga by that name, too, just because it was the name of the first issue. I've heard it called a lot of different things. Uh, uh, generally, it's either If This Be My Destiny, which I think it's called on Wikipedia, or uh, I've heard it as the Master Planner Saga, and that's why I called it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard it uses that more. The fi- the final chapter, because that's the last one. Uh, it's it's a lot of different things. But anyway, uh, yeah. Spider-Man takes Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> a small task force of purple-clad men is the best way to describe them. Uh, the they, purple they, they goons. There were some, yeah, they're either goons or thugs for my entire script that I wrote here. Um, I literally just have, they're called the purple goons in my notes. They're, they're very, their armor's kind of bug-like, I guess, the, these these master planner goons. Uh, it, it's not a terribly memorable or ground-breaking or, like, crazy cool new design. They're, they're pretty, I don't know, you know? They're, they're, like, they're like frogmen, essentially. Yeah, like, pretty much. Frogmen suits they... from World War II. Sometimes they have air hoses if they're underwater. They're like G.I. Joes or something, yeah. Cobra villains. But yeah, they're very just foot soldier kind of guys. But they're Marvel. Uh, it's a Marvel comic from the 60s, so they're purple. 
Uh, yeah, glaringly purple, and there's always like a million of them. Uh, they descend from a helicopter, like a mustard yellow helicopter, onto a uh, a plant that produces atomic devices, talking excitedly about how they're going to keep to their strict timetable. Uh, that, that That's the thing they keep talking about the entire time they do their heists, by the way, is how like punctual they are. Uh, how punctual they are and how cool the master planner is. Like, he's so smart. <laughs> Everything will go according to the master planner's plan. He's so fucking cool. Except for um, the one thing that could reasonably happen, which is Spider-Man showing up. Which happens just about every time. Uh, they locate the device they came for, uh, the, the some atomic device, because this is a 60s comic, so you're going to hear a lot about atomic stuff and radiation played very oh, yeah. fast and loose. Um, and they, they note that they have 30 seconds to spare if they've operated so efficiently. Uh, a guard rounds the corner, gun drawn, ready to investigate all this, but they make him sleep with a gas gun. Sleep. Uh, that's a classic Spider-Man gas gun for you. Gotta have it. Uh, on the move to escape, Spider-Man springs up uh, in here to uh, board their helicopter, because that's immediately what you do. Uh... Spider-Man perceives these guys as must having some kind of like big time connection because they have their own personal escape chopper uh, and he clambers into it uh, and they immediately the purple goons bombard him with sleeping gas, uh, which kind of makes him woozy and disoriented and, and really affects his reaction time for the rest of this fight. Uh, the goons em employ Plan G, which I have to hope stands for goon. Uh, which is to attach signaling devices to their score and pitch it overboard into the bay. Uh, I, like, I like that they have a plan G. I like to imagine that they have A through uh, F, but mm -hmm. they just they've ran out of them. Like they just keep having to come up with new plans. Plan G was really dependent on Spider-Man boarding the helicopter, you know, not Spider-Man confronting them at the dock or, you know, it's plan <laughs> G. It's a little it's a little ways down the list. But uh, yeah, plan G is just to attach signaling devices and pitch it overboard. So a second task force of, of frogmen with air hoses and flippers with their, you know, accessory pack can uh, be dispatched to recover the unit uh, exactly where described. Aboard the chopper, Spider-Man whips a chunk of metal with his webbing into the rotors of the helicopter and makes the chopper plummet, but he uses his spider agility to get away. This is one of those Another thing I love about this era of comics is like a lot of times there'll be, you know, thought bubbles when he's fighting or doing an action. But then yep. there'll be times where he just says to himself out loud for no reason. Thank you, spider agility. Yeah, like, this, this is, is that's a really common thing that Stan does a lot in the the uh, early, early run where, where Peter talks to himself a lot, like not even like thought bubbles. He talks to himself and he's like, I love having these spider powers. I guess that like tracks just, with shit like uh, I, I'm going to put some dirt in your eye. Like, who's he talking to? I, I, I guess uh, it, it kind of makes a little more sense here because uh, this is a comic book that, you know, presumably some kid in the 60s would pick up and oh, you know, yeah. introduce the idea of the character uh, without any prior knowledge. Uh, but, you this know, point. there's it, it is it, there's something very quaint about these issues uh, with even with how good they are there. It's it's very it's it's primitive early Spider-Man. It very, very primitive, but still rudimentary enough. Like like we're talking about fucking caveman art here or something. It's good. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like fire. It's one of the first inventions, but it's a very good one. 
There we go. Um, or like the wheel. <laughs> the big wheel, if you will. This is this is the big wheel of Spider-Man stories. So uh, having just taken a helicopter down into the bay, into the water, uh, Spider-Man shows immediate concern for the human beings he just put in danger and goes to rescue them from drowning, but the crew has vanished. Uh, elsewhere, the master planner uh, tells himself to be more careful in the future, not anticipating Spider-Man's intervention in this particular matter. We get our, like, first little monologue of just text bubbles over his, like, secret underwater lair, I think, here. As 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 we talked about back in the, the Clone Saga episode, when we talked about that, uh, I think this, the, the first Clone Saga story, which was back in the 70s, uh, early Marvel comics are just super wordy. Like there's specific, there's, you can just turn to like any random page and it's just like every single, there's the blocks and blocks of text to read. Yeah. Which is, um, it, there's, there's so, there's so much and it's all in Stan's purple prose. So it's all like very <laughs> intricate and flowery and it's like, Oh my God, Oh my God. At some points, but you know, they're, 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 they're still, three. The, 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 the pacing is snappy enough that it works. For sure. And, you know, it, it all ties back to that quaintness we talked about. It, it's very much a comic yeah. from a different era. Um, we we go from that little monologue to Peter rushing away from home uh, for his day of registration on the campus of Empire State University. And uh, after he's left the home for the day, May kind of ooze a little bit. She's hiding an illness from him. Uh oh. May, who looks like uh, the, the face on the front of the Necronomicon in The Evil Dead. <laughs> She just kind of uh, always looks like beef jerky, yeah. She does. Like the way the way that Steve Ditko draws Aunt May in all of the early Marvel comics is so funny. Like she has like essentially a banana head. Like her head is curved. Like it's curved and it looks like a piece of worn leather. Yeah, for reference, this is the character Marissa Tomei now plays. <laughs> things <laughs> things have changed a lot. Uh, the world's changing, boys. Oh, it's changing, boys. Time we change too. Uh, it's just I love, especially right at the very end of issue thirty-three, when it's 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 May laying in in her hospital bed. Uh, you just she just has this banana leather face. It's so fucking stupid. She's like completely white, like an albino banana. Exactly. Um, we we get a fun little splash page montage of uh Peter's day of registration. Uh, all the rigorous shit he has to go through with bureaucracy and textbooks and, and uh, it it is a little PTSD inducing. I, I remember that for me and it's, oh, uh, it, it hits different as a, as a grown up, I guess. Uh, but it's a fun little sequence. Yeah. Um, he still has his first day of classes on the horizon and that night uh, Aunt May faints in mid conversation with Peter. Uh, Peter makes a house call to a doctor, which is a thing you could do in 1965. And uh, the doctor says that May is incredibly weak and needs to go to the hospital for tests. That old comic book, getting tests at the hospital, you know, gotta love exactly. it. You gotta, gotta keep him in suspense. I, I'll talk about this more in the trivia, but goddamn, does May spend a lot of time in the hospital. Yeah, um, May is fucking out for the, the count. The the The... I, I think I, re I don't remember. I think it was on a podcast one time that I heard talking about these these early lead co issues. Uh, I I want to say they I, I think that the idea of Ant Man and Uncle Ben I think they originally wanted them to be Peter's grandparents, but like that would make a lot were, more sense. There there was some kind of internal mix up 
at Marvel or something, but for some reason they got changed to his aunt and uncle, so he just has a fucking ancient elderly aunt and uncle for no reason. Well, he only has the elderly aunt now. Well, he only has the elderly aunt now because he <laughs> fucked up, but, you know, he's, he's working on that. He's, he's, he's atoning for that in his own, his own humorous way. Especially here. Uh, Peter heads home for a sleepless night of stress. Sir May's condition stabilizes with medicine and rest, and he ruminates on how he feels like he's been taking May for granted, uh, especially, you know, recently now that his attention has been really diverted by being Spider-Man. Uh, we go from there after he has that horrible, restless, no sleep night to his first day of college classes. Uh, Spider-Man in college. Whoever thought we'd get here. But Spider-Man uh, in college. And th- it's, 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 when, it's when Peter is in college that you really realize that, yep, this, this comic was written by a middle-aged man. <laughs> He's a hip cat, man. What are you talking about? It's it's one of the fun one of the best parts about reading the the old Lee Ditko run is just reading Stan Lee try to figure out how teenagers in the sixties worked. He's like, what would they say? Hmm. Uh, they, they like like when like when he gets bullied in high school. Like the 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 big uh, the two big insults are milksop and panty waste. Like that that'll that'll really get him. Milk, my God. And there is a Milk lot of that here, too. Anyways. Later, uh, Gwen, who we'll talk about soon, makes reference to, like, Peter not giving her a tumble later. And I, I, I read that, and I was like, what? D- I can, huh? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just imagining Stan Lee in a trench coat and a fedora walking around college campuses, <laughs> like, trying to get the scoop. Hello, fellas. What's hip? What's happening? What's happening, cat? <laughs> what would you call a foppish lad these days? Hmm. What, what, what would you call some kind of some kind of panty waist fellow, a milksop? And like, what the fuck are you talking about? Peter is uh, having a very sulky, sleepy time on the campus, and uh, Flash Thompson is excitedly meeting Harry Osborne and Gwen Stacy, who are also in college. This is the introductory yeah. issue for both of these characters. They're 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 they joined first appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just kind of drop them in here. There's no, there's no fanciful. They don't get an MJ like super crazy introduction. Uh, yeah, you know, they're just like, hey, they're here. Design wise, I... Harry looks exactly like he always looks. Uh, Gwen's a little off model in her first appearance. I'll say. Yeah, Gwen is a little. She's, I guess, she's a little more Marilyn Monroe. I want to yeah. say almost. she's more life, and she's got like way more angular features than we're used to, and her hair is a lot different. But, you know, it's the 60s. It should evolve. I don't remember. Okay, so I I don't know this for certain. It's been a while since I've reread through all the Lee Ditko runs. I don't think they've actually shown Norman Osborn yet. No. Uh, Yeah, okay, so I'm right. They haven't shown Norman Osborn yet. Uh, And before uh, they show Norman Osborn, they don't even reveal who the Green Goblin is. And even in the Green Goblin's very first appearance where he flies on a broomstick... Uh, and <laughs> Spider-Man fights him in the desert, which is a real thing. That uh, happened in the Bible, too. Yeah, just like Jesus fought the Green Goblin in the desert. Uh, he won the desert. Both of them played by Willem Dafoe. Both of them played by Willem Dafoe versus Willem Dafoe. Uh, yes, Willem Dafoe versus Willem, Willem Defriend versus Willem Dafoe. <laughs> uh, but they, they deliberately, uh, Stan and Steve deliberately kept uh, the Green Goblin's secret ide- ide- identity a secret. 
Uh, and they don't reveal who Norman... So, like, they made Harry Osborn first, and then they made Norman after that, which is very strange and funny. And they're like, what, what should he look like? Uh, exactly like Harry. Just make him look exactly like Harry. It's great. It's great. I'm glad Peter didn't get, like, genetically whatever makes May's side of the family age, like tree bark, if that's how comic book genetics work. Yeah, he lo- the, uh, May looks like a ghoul from Fallout. <laughs> what are you looking at, Peter? He looks like uh, she looks like Harold from uh, Fallout Three when he's merged with the tree. Oh, poor Aunt May. Poor Aunt May. <laughs> uh, Peter makes his appearance in front of this uh, trio of people we've just talked about, and he does not react or hear Flat to Flash calling him like at all. Flash is, hey Peter, let me come over here so I can make fun of you and introduce you to rich people and pretty people, numbskull. Uh, but he just keeps walking, preoccupied with his Aunt May worries, his perennial Aunt May worries. Yeah. Uh, Harry kind of finds Peter stuck up and like, ah, who would want to be friends with that jackass? But but Gwen is like, oh, there's there's something going on here. My my Gwen sense is tingling. This 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 uh, thing where uh, Peter brushes them off, it it begins an odd trend in in this uh, storyline where. Uh, any any kind of just vague, like obviously Peter is like doing something. Nobody, nobody. What I'm trying to say is nobody in these comics gives anybody the benefit of the doubt. Everyone immediately assumes that just because he brushed him off one time, Peter is a massive asshole, and that he has like a he has a big ego or whatever. Nobody the the '60s Marvel's like social mores where like you don't do not dare. To ignore someone or else you're the worst person ever. It's like ruthless society. Well, you know, like Electro and uh, Amazing 2. Don't exactly. forget someone's name. It's very rude. Don't, don't forget someone's name. Except he didn't get mad about that part. He got mad that all the TV screens turned to <laughs> Spider-Man instead of him. That's that that's somehow even stupider than the forgetting the name thing. Uh, love it. Aren't you um, ready for him to be in a good movie? Isn't aren't you excited for that? Uh, yes, I really am. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to talk Jamie about this Fox throughout be a the good episode, electro. But we are at this point, Lex and I both at, at sitting at less than 24 hours until we are seeing No Way Home in a movie theater. Yes, yeah, so we're recording like this on Wednesday. We're seeing it on Thursday, and the episode is coming out on Friday. This episode, uh, but you know, we'll you'll have to wait till Christmas Eve before you get uh, your No Way Home episode, so you have time to watch mm, it. Our, but there will be lots of spoilers. To you. On that. Exactly. Anyway, uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> Uh, some kind of Spider-Man or something. Some kind of comic uh, book. Between classes, uh, Peter's preoccupation leads him to miss more greetings from potential new friends. And he calls the hospital who has no new updates for him uh, regarding May. So uh, with all that in mind, he decides he's going to try to get some studying in. But he still cannot focus at all with May on his mind. Later in the cab, headed by Professor Warren... Also, in his introductory issue here, I imagine hey. comic collector nerds probably value this one a lot for, for everything that it's, you know, about here. Yeah, obviously, like, this is one of the, the most valuable Lee Ditko sets along with, like, the first ones. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, any kind, of, any kind of first appearance, people like that shit. And this is like a triple first appearance and the first issue of an iconic arc. This is probably worth its weight in gold or more. Much more, actually. Comics are light. What the fuck? Uh, Harry formulates a plan to prank the swellhead Peter. That's another thing I noted. Swellhead hyphenated. Uh, Swellhead, yeah. 
Gwen is a little reluctant about this because she is in college and doesn't want to prank people. That, again, talking about how I, uh, <laughs> I've i been watching all the Spider-Man movies again in anticipation of No Way Home. And we were just talking the other night, me and my partners, about how, like, what the fuck? Why is Peter getting bullied in college? Why doesn't he turn around as a grown man and say, hey, what the fuck, man? I pay tuition here. You got a problem? Do you have a problem I, I, right now? I literally wrote a note here for this first issue. We talked about this all the way back in our Spider-Man 3 episode, but who pranks other students in college? Who does that? I, I do not get it. But like, I, I get, I, I've, I, you know, I've seen maybe dorm room pranks, but not like pranks in class. Like, I know, who does right? that? Especially regarding fucking vials of chemicals that explode. Whatever. Who gives a shit? Harry yeah, Osborne. I mean, chem- chemistry class in college, uh, it's mostly just people trying not to fall asleep. You know, especially Peter right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, Gwen Gwen is reluctant to prank because of course she would be. Uh, but her role in this is to distract Peter so uh, so they can pull the prank. So she has to borrow a pen. But of course, Peter is out to lunch mentally. He he can't divert any attention. So she storms off icily, you know, uh, home yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, everyone, every, as soon as Peter, like, they don't even think of, like, oh, maybe Peter's thinking about something else, or, I mean, and even Flash knows that Pete has an old-ass aunt that he has to take care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, he, does, he doesn't even think about that, and, like, maybe he's busy with something, you know, I don't know, just give him the benefit of the doubt, but then they're just like, Peter Parker is a fucking asshole, and we hate him so much! He's a dork. Uh, Harry has switched out Peter's chemicals, you know, chemicals that he works with. Uh, All his chemicals. So when Peter goes to mix them, they create a, vi- a little mini explosion, and Professor Warren does not react well to this at all, and chews Peter out in front of everybody because he thought he did it on purpose or something. And Why would you uh, assume that? I, you know. Again, again, nobody gives anybody the benefit of the doubt in these comics. Everyone immediately assumes the worst. It's like, you yeah, fucking we- idiot! You asshole! Uh, Gwen feels like immediate remorse for this, but Harry says, "Oh, that's fine. We'll invite him for a coke after class. Get, get, get him a ice cream float." God, uh, Peter, not, not, not in the soda shop. I'll be listening to President Hoover on the radio. It'll be a real sock hop. Exactly. Uh, um, Peter kind of rushes off in refusal before they can even fully invite him for the aforementioned coke after class. So they take Flash and, and, instead. And and Gwen, Gwen, like throughout this, she is, has like a vague, she's like, I'm so attracted to him. And it's like, yep, middle-aged man writing. That weird mute dork who's like a school shooter type. That's all I know about him so far. Uh, he's really hot. Uh, Peter lies to Aunt May in the hospital claiming to have made some swell new friends when she presses him about his first day. Oh, it's so swell. A real swellhead. As uh, visiting hours end, Peter is told that his aunt's condition is really bad. She needs to remain for more of those tests with a capital T. And Peter just kind of slinks away. That's, you know, kind of a thing that happens a lot in this comic. That's the they fight of this comic. Is Peter leaving the hospital and going, oh. (sighs) When when does he have like his late night uh, study session? Is that now or is it later? Uh, it's pretty shortly, I think. Okay. I know he was like, he, I know he did like a, a really 
restless first night four classes, but I think the the long night hasn't happened yet. I think. All right. Uh, checking the mail. Uh, it's nothing but bills, which with the upcoming, you know, Aunt May and the little trouble coming finally, it's just, you know, more perennial Parker Luck, no money stuff. Uh, he decides, you know, what's going to help out here is some pictures of Spider-Man to lighten the load. But when he goes out to, you know, fight crime, the city is completely quiet and there's fucking nothing happening. There's no action to get shots of in New York City. In Marvel, New York City, where there's all kinds of weird shit going on. Absolutely. He's the only weirdo out in town at this point, uh, and nothing is happening. Uh, issue, two, issue two of The Amazing Spider-Man, there were fucking space aliens and, like, Soviet <laughs> nuclear missile subs. But yeah. there's nothing here today. Uh, yeah, no action at all in New York City, and dawn creeps over the city. It's been one complete night of no crime. Uh, it's been, you know, one day of, of foolishness and, uh, no foolishness in the workplace here for Peter. And, and Peter goes home to, to study and try to get his, try to study for class. Like who studies for class on the second day of school, second or third day of school. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, you're still I getting an orientation get done. Well. I got, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta make sure I, I click, uh, uh, I, I, I notify the syllabus on the website. I gotta make sure I do it. Uh, but yeah, he's like he's like draped. He's like draped over his studies like a character in a fucking Percy Shelley novel, and it's mm-hmm. like it's he's dramatically lit by the sunrise. Yeah, it's like lit like Dick Tracy. It's a really good image, but it's like super like over dramatic. It's really funny. Yeah, it's it's a little over the top, but you know it's Spider Man for you. Uh, they describe him as bone weary <laughs> in like either a text bubble or narration or something on the next. This panel. motherfucker is tired. He's trudging towards day two, and uh, onlookers are chiding him for his supposedly, like, haughty and, oh, I'm better than you ways. We won't talk to anybody, boo-hoo. But somehow Gwen... Such a cruel society these people live in. I know, right? What the fuck, 1965? Uh, Gwen still thinks, no, he's handsome, so he must be nice deep down. Uh, (laughs) Meanwhile... ugly people can be mean. (laughs) J. Jonah Jameson is yelling at Foswell to bring oh him a story ASAP. Not not just J. Jonah Jameson. They call him, uh, in the caption box that introduces him, they call him the demon newspaper man, yes, J. They Jonah do. Jameson. Yes, like, they like do. Like the emissary from hell, J. Jonah Jameson. That's what they'll call him in, in No Way Home, maybe. Oh my god, if they call him the emissary of hell, I'm gonna cream my jeans. Uh, he's, he's, uh... Foswell has to get a story ASAP, and uh, they need to cover the robberies of science equipment that have been happening all over town. You know, science equipment. Classic Uh, science equipment robberies. Foswell decides that Patch should take a look at this. Good old Patch. Because, you know, they're they're tight, Foswell and Patch. Uh, JJ yells at Betty Brant to get a hold of Peter, who he can't reach at his home for some weird reason. And, uh... All of a sudden, Ned Leeds shows up uh, with a desire to know what the answer to Betty's question is. And when I wrote this down at first, it was I, I assume the question is, will you go out with me? But as the issues go on, apparently it's her, her, her hand in marriage. Yes, Ned showed up earlier in the lead at Curran. So if you don't know, if you haven't read them yet, uh, you need to, number one, read the lead yeah. at Curran. It's, it's really good. Uh, Full read it, would be great one of these days. It, it's, it's so great that everything... 
the Lee Ditko run is so good because everything Spider-Man is essentially fully formed by the time it's done. They don't make a lot of changes from how he is in uh, that run. Like he is, he comes out fully formed. Uh, but the, the in, earlier in that comic, there's this whole big drama where uh, Betty's brother was a gambler who worked. That part I know. Yeah. Betty's brother was a, was a, was a, was a gambling addict who got some bad debts and had to go do some kind of, I think he had to either help Doc Ock with some kind of crime. He was like forced into it by the mob or whoever he owed money to, or he was like helping him break out of prison or something like that. Uh, But anyway, he ended up dying and Betty blames Spider-Man for it. And at this time, Betty and Peter are dating. Uh, So Peter is also trying to to break things off with Betty, and his solution to that is just be an asshole to her. Uh, (laughs) Great job, Peter. Uh, And at the same time, Ned Leeds shows up uh, around this time and is like, hey, Betty, why don't you marry me? Uh, And so Peter sort of sees Ned as like his way out of, of having to deal with Betty anymore. Uh, it's, it's, it's very complicated and very soap opera y. And, you know, obviously if you remember that, that Stanley and Marvel comics in general, you know, used to write a lot of teen romance books, uh, back before they got into the superhero business. So it makes a lot of sense, uh, mm. that, that, that there's still a bit of that DNA left in here. Yep. Uh, what else can you say? Um, Betty won't commit to this dedicated is bringing to the table until she can at least talk to peter about like the the status of things because he's been dodging her left and right uh post bugle scene uh patch is at his usual hangout in the underworld just hanging out listening to crime talk because that's what he does (laughs) just walking around uh and he overhears of nuclear devices being loaded tonight at pier six you know good old nuclear devices all these villains love their fucking nuclear devices. Nuclear vessels. Uh, Patch trails this lead out of the bar, trying to tail him for information, but uh, loses him around a corner. And he has no evidence to take to the police, so he fe- you know, he's got not a lot of options for people he can go to or talk to about this. Uh, meanwhile, back at Empire State University, Peter is once again rushing off towards May, and Gwen attempts to stop him and make conversation. But once again, he's like, yeah, 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 Bimbo, I got to get going. And leaves are like super confused. I think that she's like, no man has ever tried to give me a tumble before or something. And I'm uh, way to go uh, back at the hospital. The tests aren't complete. The results aren't back yet. And with not really anything else to do around there, since he can't be with May all the time, Peter departs, deciding to swing through the streets again, searching for a good photo to take. Uh, Spider-Man sees a light in an alley as if someone is trying to signal him, which I thought was weird writing. He's like, someone must be trying to signal me. And it's like, is, is that the case? It just kind of looks like a light to me. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> it's good old Patch who informs Spider-Man about his uh, Pier 6 plot. You know, he can't go to the cops about it. He doesn't have any proof. Maybe Spider-Man can help out. This is nuclear devices we're talking about. Uh... Spider-Man heads off to stop this with Patch behind, like, you know, leave left behind, clamoring for credit if Spider-Man is successful for a scoop. Uh, and over at Pier 6, more purple goons are using suction cups to clamber up the ship. Because, again, comic book. 
discussing the instructions given to them by the master planner. Master planner whose plans are masterful. And uh, th- there's a line that he says earlier, I think like when he, when Peter first fights the purple goons and beats the fuck out of them uh, and stops their crime or whatever, the master planner is like in his underwater super base. And he's like, I didn't expect to contend with Spider-Man. And it's like, what, what did you, what did you think? Especially when we, it's revealed who the master planner is at the beginning mm-hmm. of the very next issue where it's like, you really didn't think Spider-Man was going to do anything about this. I thought he moved. I don't know. He's New York. People don't I thought he went to Jersey. I mean, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man arrives on the scene after the goons have gassed the crew with their sleeve guns. And they attempt to spray him with a more concentrated gas than they used last time, which Peter says, or rather thinks, I guess, Thought Bubble, that he's prepared for. Uh, a goon swings a cargo boom trying to knock Spider-Man overboard but he ends up using the cargo boom to do the same to a bunch of goons. Uh, He then shoots a bunch of webs on the cargo, trying to make it unstealable, but the goons attempt to drop a cargo net on him from a crane to, I guess, drown him, and he's able to get the net off before he even hits the water. Uh, The goons start diving away, once again, you know, air hoses in tow, and Peter realizes he can't go after them, considering they're far better equipped for that kind of escape. Uh, but he sees the cops nearby conversing with Patch. He laments that he's not getting any pictures of the action tonight again, and that's when we get the reveal that he was wearing a dry chemical filter respirator type thing under his mask. Uh, you know, good old spider science in action. Uh, it's a fun moment. I like that. Uh, in his yeah. un- underwater lair, the master planner laments uh, via text again that Spider-Man cost him time he needs for his experiments and a, and a ray, you know, a ray. He needs time for his radiation experiments, you know, with radiation. The lab tests for Aunt May, meanwhile, show that she is not meant to live much longer, and the tests are ordered again for posterity, closing out the first issue of the master planner saga. So, yeah, I think the next, yeah, we go to the next issue, which is Amazing Spider-Man 32, Man on a Rampage. Look out. He's he's fucking throwing shit. Uh, I, this cover goes hard as fuck. Feel free to screenshot. Yeah, it's really cool. I like the third one the best, I think, but uh, this one's pretty strong. Of course, the, the third one is iconic. Uh, it's 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 easily the best one, but I I really do think this is a, a sort of a more underrated one because it's just he's fucking throwing shit around. Peter's fucking pissed. He's pissed off. <laughs> the master planner is sitting in his underwater lair, just like off screen, kind of. His his super cool underwater sea base that he has. That's yeah. I guess under the Hudson River. It's like a Capitol building, kind of. It looks very I don't know something like that, but it's got a big tunnel too. Yeah, it's like under the Hudson River, the dirtiest river on planet Earth. Absolutely. Well, it's full of radiation, I guess. I guess. Uh, And he's lamenting another scheme foiled by Spider-Man. He's close to a breakthrough in his mastery of lingering radiation, remarking how no one knows his secret identity. Dr. Octopus. Who could have guessed? I I guess that uh, either Stan or Steve, whoever had this idea of of immediately revealing who the master planner is, I guess they just assumed that everyone had really low attention spans because they were like, uh, let's not even keep this guy in suspense for more than one issue. We got to fucking deal with this. 
Right. Let's also not make him like someone new. Just have him be somebody else we've already used before. But I, I guess I, thematically and character wise, it could have been a worse choice. Maybe Dr. Octopus was tired of being Dr. Octopus. Maybe he wanted to be somebody else. He's rebranding, but he won't get rid of the tentacles. He can't get rid of the tentacles. They're fused to his body. <laughs> well, he could like, you know, do something new with them. Paint them. Uh, yeah, he could paint them. They're, they're, they're my worms. I'm Dr. Worm. They call me Dr. Worm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not a lot of options, I guess, when you're at that stage. Uh, he feels that with radiation, he can give anyone, including himself, access to fantastic powers, which I guess isn't far off for this universe. Yeah. Uh, he orders his deputy squad leader to continue their search for any and all atomic equipment for him. I like how there's like they get so specific with like, you're the deputy squad leader, but their goal is vaguely uh, atomic equipment. Whatever that yeah, means. Just go, go steal any kind of radioactive shit. I need it. <laughs> Honey, I got the promotion to deputy squad leader in my purple goon armada. Oh, that's very nice, honey. <laughs> I, I, Dr. Octopus, Dr. Octopus's plan is really funny because he, he, he acts essentially like a, that kid in a, in a group science project who doesn't know what the fuck is going on. So he's like, uh, give me like radioactive shit. I don't know. Uh <laughs> equipment or something i I, see this symbol bring it back i i need i need to give people powers and stuff (laughs) Uh, peter is uh meanwhile aside from this walking through the bugle offices rather sulking through the bugle offices where betty morant stops him hoping to chat peter doesn't want to talk uh due to everything so he decides to act like an ass, like Lex mentioned, on purpose in front of her and Ned. Uh, Ned, of yep. course, vying for Betty's hand in marriage. Very, very strange logic that Peter's got going on. Instead of just, just breaking it off like a normal human being, he's like, "I'm gonna be an asshole." He's gonna, he's gonna bully McGuire mode here. He's, he's gonna put some dirt in some eyes. He, uh, he's, he's he got says, his hair. He's got his haircut differently. He's the first person to develop an emo haircut in 1965. Yeah, he's I, maybe he's just out of uh, Dapper Dan or whatever he puts in in, in there. Uh, he says that he's maybe he's outgrown Betty and Ned ne- tries to Ned's you know, good in this, I guess, for a guy trying to swoop in. He, he's like, Peter, let's talk, man. Let's, you know, this is Betty we're talking about. Let's talk. And Peter just shoves him into the wall. Uh, Fuck you! He shoves him through the door into Jameson's office. Yeah, okay. I guess I didn't catch that. I thought it was a, like a thump being heard through the wall. Uh, no, that that makes more sense. The JJ is like, "What the fuck is going on?" And uh, he's he's like, "Peter's not usually violent. What the fuck is happening?" Uh, Peter, meanwhile, is like, "Yeah, nothing. Whatever." Hey, do you want to buy pictures? <laughs> Just buy my pictures, <laughs> asshole. Doesn't give a fuck. Moment. Um. He tries to sell him, uh, and internally he's, like, noting that he's always going to carry a torch for Betty and that, you know, he, he knows he's no good for her, he can't have her, etc. And... You know, as, as little as they kind of explore it uh, in the spectacular show, they kind of laugh it off as a joke, the Betty-Peter relationship. Uh, they, there's specifically, I think, the second issue that the Vulture appears in. They have a really... It's a, that's a really cute little good issue of them, like, kindling their relationship for the first time. Like, Betty Peter's kind of an underrated relationship, and they don't really do a whole lot with it, because, you know, it's not the yeah. one everybody thinks of. 
they don't touch on a lot. And when they do, it's something like spectacular where he's like a minor or something. And it's like, why, yeah. why are we doing this? And, and here, and he, you know, cause you know, obviously it doesn't make a lot of sense. Cause why would somebody who would be Peter's age work as a, as Jason Jameson's secretary. Right. Uh, but in the comics, she had to, because of her brother's gambling debts, she had to drop out of high school to become Jameson's uh, secretary. So she could pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they have a, at least a vague explanation for that. But yeah, I, I, Betty, Betty, Betty Peter, underrated uh, pairing. Yeah, I would say so. Under Not my favorite. I don't have a favorite. No, but not, my, not my favorite. Not among underrated. the favorites, but underrated. Uh, Jameson hates photos and doesn't want them <laughs> and tells Peter to get the fuck out. It's, you know, why are you here? I like, I like to are. imagine they're all like, they're like blurry photos of like the inside of his pants pocket. It's like, what the fuck is this pants. shit? <laughs> It's about more than flagpoles. It's not about, Betty, sorry, flagpoles. It's about lighting. <laughs> Betty knows this is an act from Peter. She can tell with her woman intuition that Stanley knows women have. And uh, she tries to coax the truth out of him, but Peter still shrugs all this off and, and leaves the bugle. Um, heading back to the hospital, the other revolving set piece here that we see three or four times an issue uh doctors are telling peter that may has absorbed a radioactive particle into her blood i'm sorry son your aunt has a bad case of particles in the blood no no she's got blood particles dude they lack the science or a tiny enough pair of tweezers to remove the particle from may and peter (laughs) peter believes peter believes all of this to be his fault uh, because of a blood transfusion he had given May in a past adventure. Of course, all of this touched on in uh, Back in Black One More Day, whenever that is. But um, uh, it's, I believe it's I believe it's Amazing Spider-Man Ten. Yeah, that's early enough, I think. But yeah, it's oh god, it's my fault. I gave my aunt evil blood. Uh, he's he's completely morose now, heading home, feeling completely responsible for not only Ben's preventable death. But now May's impending preventable death. Uh, he gets so pissed off at himself and all of this and his his self monologue that he just puts his fists through a really sturdy 60s table uh, and a lamp and shit on it. Uh, just completely splinters it. And he oh, yeah, he, loud, he's pissed. He's like, ah! and he's like out loud, angry, talking to himself about how he swears he swears he can't pay May back this way. Uh, with tragedy and swears to save her no matter the cost. Uh, and once he kind of cools down just a hair, he decides he's going to contact Dr. Kurt Connors for some science help, like calling in a favor, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> stealing May's blood sample from the window as Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man hightails it over to Kurt. Uh, hard at work doing science in the lab, like he does in the lab. And, and the the first thing Peter's okay, so Peter swings into his window, uh, <laughs> and the first thing he says is, uh, "Hi, Doctor Connors. Remember me? Like, how the fuck could I forget? That's the most traumatic thing that ever happened to me ever. Hello, can I help you? Like he, he he turned into a lizard man. He wasn't an amnesiac, dude. I think he remembers you." <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I thought you were the other Spider-Man. Sorry. No, I thought uh, you were. Ra- I thought you were a arachnid guy. Ah, fuck. You the, know, the there's so the many costume. of you guys out here. It's it's so confusing. I'm colorblind. I can't tell the difference between red and blue. <laughs> That's good. I thought you were Webman. I'm colorblind. Damn. Uh, 
Connor swears to do anything in his power he can do to help out of respect and owing Spider-Man everything. Um, he says he'll acquire a serum that's been developed on the West Coast called ISO 36 in ISO the hopes 36. of curing May because it's like an anti-radiate. It's like a fallout anti-venom. It's, it just fixes you. It's fine. Yeah, that they, they, they keep in a, in a, in a, th- a soup thermos. Yeah, they they do say. with a lunch pail. They keep it in. Uh, so to raise the funds to afford this uh, ISO thirty six shit, uh, Peter decides to pawn all of his home science equipment in a very Peter moment. Uh, yep. All of his microscopes and test tubes and dork shit, and even the pawn shop guy is like, "What? He's getting rid of his dork shit? No." I didn't think you were a guy who had debts. You're selling all your your science equipment. It reminds me of the that deleted scene from Far From Home. I was where Peter sells literally his, his about toys. to say the same thing. I was about to say that, how that, I... that, that that really good deleted scene from Far From Home where he uh, uh, sells his, his his action figures so he can uh, buy the necklace for MJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wish I had kept that in. It's all about those little callbacks. Uh, Peter has the money now to, uh, with what he withdrew from the bank as well, to pitch in for some ISO 36, uh, at ordered by Dr. Connors, who has access to, you know, Amazon.com slash ISO 36. Uh, all of the stock available is being flown in, especially for this. From the West Uh, Coast. Yeah, from the West Coast. That's pretty far from New York. Uh, From the East Coast. (laughs) Peter helps Connors with some lab work prep too, uh, mixing chemicals and warming beakers. And and Connors is like, "Oh wow, you're good at science. Maybe you're not Spider-Man all the time." Oh, shit. Yeah, I guess you don't have to wear safety goggles if you're already wearing the mask. That's true. Uh, however, Master Planner goons uh, are informed of the incoming shipment and inform the Master Planner about it. And Doctor Ock is fucking thrilled. He did, you, needs... did you call him? Did you call him Doctor Ock? I think I might have. Doctor Doctor Ock. You know Doctor Ock's the thing is you fight in uh, Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm so yeah, hungry. Yeah. I can eat in Doctor Ock's. <laughs> oh my fucking god! I I might have just done that. My mouth is pretty dry. Uh, Get Doc some water, Ock. bro. You got to keep water on you at all times when you record the podcast. I know, That's rule number I know. one. That's what I do. I'm evil. I'm going to power through. I got this. I believe in myself. And with the power of Dr. Ock on my side, Dr. Ock, get him on the horn. He's he's thrilled about this shit. He needs ISO 36 to uh, continue his research. And uh, he says, go I, get I, that shit. I like to imagine that they're on the video call with with Dr. Ock. Uh, and, and they're like, hey, we, we heard some guys got ISO 36 coming in from the West Coast. You want us to do something about that? He's just like. Is it radio? Is it radioactive? Uh, yeah, I think so. Go, go get it. I need it. It's like they're a dealer trying to push product. Hey, man, I got some ISO thirty six. It's some medical shit, man. You gotta try this, dude. This is sativa. This is fucking ISO thirty six, dude. I'm smoking on that ISO thirty six pack. <laughs> Peter, this wasn't weed. It was ISO thirty six. This is ISO thirty six. The the purple goons clobber the delivery pilot and steal the load of the serum. Which uh, Peter hears about when Connors gets a phone call updating him. They straight up steal his soup thermos that that, that has the ISO thirty six in it. And when and when Peter and Connors get the call uh, that uh, the ISO thirty six has been stolen, uh, the, Peter has like this dramatic turnaround uh, mm-hmm. where it's like, "Oh, are you fucking kidding me?" 
It's that like picture so, where it's like we threw the fucking package in a ravine. <laughs> we threw that shit in the re- in the river. <laughs> um. Yeah. It's uh. They his his thermos of chicken noodle soup that he needs to cure Aunt May has been stolen. Mm, chicken noodle <laughs> soup. And uh, Spider Man divines that once he's you know fucked off and gone out the window, saying, "Oh, I'll be back with the." I gotta go. We. Uh, Spider-Man divines that the lair must be in the water, given that the most recent crime's vicinity to the waterfront, you know, that can't be a coincidence. Uh, so Spider-Man swings into the bugle, fully dressed as Spider-Man, into the bugle to find Foswell. And Betty's like, oh, that guy just, he just left. And he's like, okay, bye, Betty. And she must be, like, fucking pissed. How dare you use my name? Spider-Man, you cad. Uh... On the street, Peter just fucking grabs Foswell, just scoops him the fuck up and and takes him off uh, and to a rooftop to remind us, the audience of their history to get and uh, say that he needs his underworld contacts to help him nab the master planner. And in return, he'll credit him with a scoop and, you know, hey, help help me help you, you know, Uh Meanwhile, he busts every underworld haunt he can find in search of info, uh, just absolutely blasting through low-level meetings of street goons and restaurants and underpasses and shit, you know, where these guys meet. Yeah, this is this is the artwork here specifically is really, really good where he's like jumping off. He's breaking wooden boxes and like jumping mm-hmm. around and punching Half-life dudes crates. in the face. It's, it's really, yeah, Half-Life crates. It's, it's just really, he's fucking tearing shit up. Absolutely. And what pisses him off is that absolutely none of these people know who or where the master planner is. They're they're not involved. And that's, you know, frightening. Uh, yeah, they're, that, they're not the purple goons. They're regular goons. Yeah, they're in suits and hats and hanging out. Pinstripes. Not purple frog suits. At the hospital, May begins slipping into a coma. Uh, not good, usually. I don't do that. Uh, Spider-Man comes across a hot car ring, and, uh, like everybody else, these guys know fucking nothing. Uh, th- th- this is, this is where we get to see Peter's great new fighting style of just throwing shit. Like, he grabs the whole staircase and throws it at a guy, he's like, ah, where, where, you know where the master planner is? He's grapple, man. Exactly. Uh, on his way away from this scene, uh, in a blind alley, he finds a trap door uh, that he enters, uh, which leads him to a gang of the Master Planner's men, which he yeah, pretty... He just suddenly, he suddenly finds the secret entrance to the Master Planner's lair. Pretty abruptly. Uh, it looks like the set of, like, Double Dare. It's, like, all bright neon colors. Yeah, with a lot of, like, machinery. Just nondescript science equipment through a lot yeah, of Yeah, just machinery, place. dude. Don't even question it. It's He needs that for the machinery. Mm-hmm. For, his ra- for his ray and his radiation. For his, for his radiation, bro. He needs it. Uh, Peter makes very quick work of these thugs, saying that he'll rip them all apart and this environment around him to get to that serum. Uh... And a goon tells Ock, meanwhile, that uh, Spider-Man is on his way via the secret tunnel. It's not very secret. It like like protrudes from the structure. It's not very secret. No, not really. Uh, (laughs) Spider-Man comes across a suspiciously convenient canister of ISO 36. Botlet, knowing it's a trap. He's like clinging (laughs) to a little like ring fixture in the room, which Doc Doc Ock is like, okay, Spider-Man is coming. Do we still have that spotlight? (laughs) 
<laughs> light it now. Uh, Can we light it like the idol from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Can we just like get it like right like that? Spidey strokes his chin and weighs his bag of sand. Also, did you make sure to electrify the ceiling? We need that. <laughs> Specifically the big metal wave circle thing he's coming in on. Which, yeah, violently shocks Peter with a high-voltage burst. Uh, and before he can even hit the floor, Doc Ock has snatched him out of the air, and now Peter knows who the master planner is. I like that he's uh, not even... It's not even, like, in Spectacular, where he, like, tries to vaguely disguise himself as the master planner. Even on video yeah. calls, he's just Dr. Octopus. It's me. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going through a rebrand right now. My name is the master planner. <laughs> It's a thing. I'm. It's a new brain. I couldn't grow a goatee. This is the next best thing. It's one of my new characters, like Melvin, brother of the Joker. Oh my good god! I can't believe you brought up Melvin, brother of the Melvin, Joker. Melvin, Melvin, brother of the Joker. Flippity <sighs> sploosh. Peter hits the floor and tries to swing Ock around by the tentacles. Uh, you know they brawl for a while. He ties his arms up. Uh, and after a long, you know, bout of just rage-fueled Peter, you know, normally he'd be pretty pissed, but this is his aunt's soup that has been stolen. So he's very, he's soup. very upset. And eventually, Dr. Octopus realizes he, he knows he can't beat the raging Spider-Man and that the only conclusion to get out of here is escape to live. Yeah, I ISO stands for I, comma, soup. It's in, it's you know inter, intravenous soup thirty six. I soup thirty six. Uh, that means there's thirty six different unique flavors within the broth. It's like Dr Pepper. It's the Dr Pepper of soups. It's hot Dr Dr Pepper. They just developed this on the West Coast, Peter. It's hot Dr Pepper. A little carbonation, Peter, and I'll see you later. If you used to get glass, 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 glass made of <laughs> glass. <laughs> Oh my god! Make sure you make sure you 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 only use little spills. You don't want to break the glass. <sighs> During the fight, Spider-Man damages the main support beam uh, of cast iron. I think they specify, uh, and the upper levels of the layer uh, begin to collapse. Uh, the structural integrity is starting to give way under all the water pressure, and as shit starts to collapse. Uh, Peter is kind of pinned from the waist down and can't pinpoint occupation. Totally loses the awk for the rest of the comic, right? Like, I think we get some, like, maybe voice stuff at the end. Yeah, no, he, does, he, doesn't sh he doesn't show up at all in the next yeah, issue. Yeah, he's just fucked off. Uh, yeah. Peter, Peter is able to narrowly, like, maneuver himself so that he's in a little gap. So he's at least able to, like, live when the giant right. piece of metal crushes him. He's, he's like he's pinned first and then that giant fucking thing starts to come down and he has to like web it and would like Tetris himself into this alcove. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's you know, he didn't get hurt. His leg is hurt, but he's not like squished to death. He's so. not dead. So there's that. Uh, yeah, very good position to be in. Um, right in front of him is the vial of serum and he's like, well, it doesn't even matter if I can reach it because fucking I'm pinned here. This is not good. Uh, even with my spider strength, this is just absolute dog shit. I can't get out of this. Uh, big droplets begin to pelt him in the ISO, and Spider-Man realizes that the water is going to surge through the widening cracks in the ceiling soon, and he will die. He struggles and shifts, and but he cannot move the shit that's pinning him down, not even an inch. 
and with his recent exhaustion combined with everything he's going through, uh, it, it's just too thorough. He's he's too thoroughly like empty and cleaned out. Uh, briefly back at the hospital, May whispers Peter's name and you know a little Star Wars moment, I guess. So old. <laughs> And uh, Connors watches the clock as Peter slowly begins to run out of time before the serum is useless. Uh, and then out- right, at, right at the very end, there's that little there's a little text box from Stan. He's like, you must not miss the next issue of Spider-Man. Like, just, I won't. Yeah. I won't, Stan. I won't. I promise it's one click away from me because it's 2021. But if this was 1965, you can bet my little white ass would have been at the comic stand with 75 cents in hand or whatever. Uh, my, my, with my propeller cap and my later hose and my lollipop. <laughs> I absolutely would have. Um, but yeah, right before the end of the issue, the master planner's goons are waiting outside the room to jump Peter. Uh, also totally unaware that the ceiling in there is about to give. These are uh, not looking good. Spider-Man is lamenting his final and ultimate failure as the second issue closes out here. Uh, God. Miss the next one. Don't miss it. And here we are. Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, my God, we didn't miss it. Thank God. Thank Christ. Uh, did you have the title on this one, too? I don't it's recall. It's time thing. for issue 33, the final chapter. Oh, yeah, that is it. Which yeah. great, great fucking cover. Sensational. It's Peter lives. Uh, Spidey has nearly resigned himself to his fate. Uh, before remarking, uh, well, yeah, again, how he can't let May die and how he's forsaken her and Ben. We get a lot of, you know, tiny yeah, little baby is, recap there. Th- 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 this whole sequence has, you know, this timeless, uh, not a whole lot to be said about the sequence that hasn't already been said. Uh, all There's all this great art, this amazing monologue. Uh, it's just really, really tremendous stuff here. It's, really it's great predominantly great. monologue. It's uh, for an issue that takes place mostly in one location with a character being pinned down. It's very, very good. It's like six pages and it's almost all just monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, I have written down that, you know, he, he has within his body the strength of many men. And now all he has to do is call on that strength. Uh you know, a lot of self pep talk type stuff. And he yeah, begins yeah, pushing yeah. down really I, hard. I, I, uh, I, lo- I love this. I love this scene. Cause it's, you know, leave it to Pete to give himself an audible pep talk while he's trying to lift this shit <laughs> off of him. And specifically, there's just one line right at the end, right before he, he lifts the, the thing off of him. Finally, while he's got the water pouring down on him where he says, anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. It's when the going's tough, when there seems to be no chance that's when it counts. I'm like, yeah, I'm like mm-hmm. on my, I'm like standing up cheering like that one guy and uh, like all those people who watched uh, Avengers Endgame and like came in their pants. I'm like that guy. This is a good ass comic. And all the meat ceiling is just getting bigger and bigger and the water is getting worse and worse. And yeah, eventually and in this incredible iconic moment that again, what can we say that hasn't already been said? Uh, he shoves this debris like up over him, first crouching, and then like at the most unendurable moment, it's it's gone. He like fucking flings yeah, the they, shit, and he's freed. Yeah, they have as as sort of he he puts more and more effort into getting out of it. Uh, the the panels sort of get bigger and bigger until there's this final big full on splash page where he's lifting it off, and he's like, "I did it! I'm free!" And it's like mm-hmm. this fucking comic rocks. Uh, immediate declaration of freedom. He realizes that his leg is hurt, but uh, he, you know, calls it a win, collects 
as the serum his way towards the exit very quickly, it's trying to get away. Trying to get away, but unfortunately, that collapses, and the water surges oh, no. towards which he uh, uses the momentum of it to let it carry him around for just a bit to get minuscule moments of rest in uh, as it sweeps him down the tunnel. Uh, going under the water, he searches for a way out among the debris and metal, knowing that the water surge is probably going to do a lot of good to get the door down, and uh, breaches the surface to another room. However, waiting for him are uh, diver goons who are tugging on him, so uh, he rips out their air hoses and forces them to surface. And now that everybody's on the surface... Uh, there's a, they expect a fight, and, uh, we're in front of the only exit, motherfucker, you gotta get through us, you tired asshole. It's like 15 purple goons, and they, like, surround him and just start beating the fuck out of him. And, and these goons are chatty, by the way, they, they, they fucking taunt him and shit, they, they, they don't make it easy on him. Um, yeah, and, and at, at the same time, he's also trying to recover his energy, and he gives himself another audible pep talk while uh, he's while he's getting the shit kicked out of him and he's just like he's like swinging wildly and he just kicks the shit out of all of them and it's another great scene right well at first they they get the best of him uh he's yeah he's using like their time beating him as downtime like okay yeah, let like, me take a like second he, and just get my shit rocked like like he's strong enough he's, he says that he's strong enough that their their blows don't really he doesn't really feel them but he's he's using that time to like recover his energy before he could start he could flip the switch and start beating the fuck out of him and when yeah he does get a second win with the crippled leg he you know he's so enraged and so swearing against failure that he does he's done when he's done he's still ready to beat and they're all unconscious on the ground and he's like oh oh fuck all right damn That's, it's awesome uh peter makes his grand escape from the lair dr connor's soup in hand and tells connor's uh, i'll tell you everything later just take this now uh go 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 <laughs> uh spider-man decides he's own blood for like a control i guess a comparison in secret against may's blood uh, so he does yeah. that on the side and doesn't tell Dr. Connors. Uh, well, he, he runs it by him, but not he doesn't explain that it's his blood, I should say. He's like, I, I got to test this blood sample. And he's like, what? How do you know this is like, he's like shut up? I don't let me do this. Now that they know the cure works, uh, knows that he needs to warn Peter that the demographic, you know, like the age and the sex and everything of the patient could affect, you know, there's variables here. Uh, but Peter says, that's great, whatever. Uh, call the hospital and tell them that it's on the way. Um, call the, call the hospital because you're a man of renown and they will respect you. Uh, I am and then Dr. they'll let Connors. me, they'll, they'll, they'll let me, a guy in a mask, just show up and give you, give them this medicine. Hi, I'm disgraced Dr. Kirk Connors, my friend Spider, right. yes, the he's, guy that he, the newspapers he, hate. He's not disgraced. He's not a disgraced scientist because nobody knows he was the lizard. Oh, true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I guess I've got like spectacular on the brain. Uh, kept it a secret. Oh, yeah. Spidey arrives to the hospital breathless, uh, handing over to get ready to save Aunt May's life is going to take about two hours. <laughs> Peter uh, returns to the scene now that he has this like two hour window of downtime before May's life is saved to uh, get some photo time in photo staging. He gets some, you know, manipulated on his end shots of Spider-Man uh, leaving the facility out of the trap 
trapdoor and the supposed heater goes down into the trapdoor and takes pictures of all the knocked out goons. Uh, so yeah, he, you know, gets some good photos in and Foswell gets a phone call regarding the, you know, Spidey scoop, uh, you know, held in onto that end of the bargain there. And Jameson is ecstatic, waiting for money to roll yeah. in regarding this entire fiasco. A lot of big grinning Jameson in this issue. And and and, Be- and Betty says, "Mr. Jameson, you're smiling. Is anything wrong?" <laughs> yeah. Then you know, there's the, they call him a Scrooge later, say that Scrooge is more generous than him. It's good JJ shit. This issue, great JJ. Yeah, shit. The, J- JJ is at the fucking top of his game here on this in this uh, whole arc. It's really good. Spidey gives Foswell all of the info he has regarding the map planner and leaves taking all of the pics that he can a few rooftops away from the ensuing uh, police scene uh peter then hurries back to the bugle to make the sale where a ju a downright jubilant j jonah jameson is telling foswell on the phone that the only thing missing is pictures uh before the transaction can occur uh betty intercepts peter and notes his busted up face which he blames on getting pictures for jj which causes uh, Betty to have like a mind-breaking like brother moment. Like, oh God, I, I can't lose you to living dangerously too, Peter. And yeah, he's, yeah Peter's like, uh, Peter's like, I like to live dangerously. And Betty's like, oh, I can't be with a man who wants to live such a dangerous life. She's rushing off crying over Peter's need for action. And Peter wonders, you know, how bad it would be like worse than this if she knew the real truth, the full truth. And, he, you know, one final I, I know I'm no good for Betty. Uh, when Peter shows up with the exact photos that JJ is desiring, Peter just is straight up. OK, I want a hundred bucks a shot. Non-negotiable. Fuck you. Internally, Jameson knows they're worth easily double that and still tries to boohoo him about the money. Uh, but Peter's like, nope, write me a check right now. And Jameson's like, God damn, is Peter bold these days to himself? You know, good stuff all around there. Yeah, he's standing up for himself. He'd love to see it. Back at the hospital, Peter is ready to hear the test results, uh, uh, but gets an insistent checkup from a very like persistent doctor first who says, uh, yeah, you're on the brink of exhaustion, my guy. You need to fucking sleep. Yeah, because uh, he, lo- he looks all beat the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, thank God he didn't ask for a blood test. Oh, uh, otherwise I would have found particles. <laughs> Dude, you are full of these fucking things. Dude, there's so they- many particles. You're, you're like 98% particle. Have you been to, like, Nagasaki recently, Peter? Are you okay? Are you hanging out in, like, nuclear reactors or some shit? May's results are favorable as the serum worked for her. Uh, She kind of stirs from her coma a little bit and says Peter's name a few times, but passes back to sleep. And the remark fortune of Spider-Man's intervention in the matter, even though they have no idea what his motive was, and that's a real head scratcher for them. uh, Peter says he's not as bad as people think he is, that that Spider-Man guy. Uh, And the doctor's like, okay, go home and rest now. And as we get our final little shots of Peter, you know, stumbling and slinking down the sidewalk as the blinds go down, the narrator narration of the doctors are talking about, wow, we wish more kids looked up to devoted and well-mannered and sincere people like Peter Parker and not that thrill seeker Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor Closing says that Peter, uh, that Peter Parker. Yeah. The doctor says that Peter Parker sure is a nice boy. And I'm like, he sure is. You got that right. You fucking got that right. 
And that closes out the Master Planner Saga, which is also the last comic we're talking about this season. There you go. Well, I mean, it's like the second to last episode before that. We got to, yeah, there's not a whole lot left to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we thought we thought it would be good to just before we get to the most recent piece of Spider-Man media, we we start way back at at near the beginning. Be fun. Absolutely. Uh, all right, back Alex. Do you have any? Do you have any? Uh, do you have any? Uh, fun facts about these comic books? I sure do. Um, I before before we get into like the facts about the comic in general, I wanted to talk about briefly like the Lee Ditko thing, like you talked about at the beginning of this. Yes. However, I I want to mix things up a little bit here. Uh, sorry if this is unprompted, but you're you're between the two of us a little bit of more of the Marvel historian, and I feel like whatever you know about it on hand is better than this little like snippet of text I have about it here. That's not very super in depth. I would love to hear your your you know your take on the situation. Uh, I mean, generally this, this in these later issues, I don't remember exactly what the, the sort of cutoff point is, but it's close uh, to this period, close, close to this period around this time. This is when Stan and Steve's relationship is really becoming more strained. Uh, this is obviously during the time when the Marvel method was what, how they operated, which is why, uh, Steve is credited as both the plotter and the artist because uh, Steve had a lot of creative freedom where he he basically plotted out the entire issue. He had a general idea of what he wanted to do for these three issues uh, and then just gave them to Stan so he could edit them uh, and then write all the dialogue. Uh, so th- there's a lot of different factors that led up to them having disagreements. Part of it is stands sort of not exactly being the one to be like I and only I created Spider-Man because Stan wasn't really like that. He was more, he, he didn't really correct people when people said that uh, he was more, he was more of the public facing guy and was more willing to accept uh, the guy as the sole creator of Spider-Man. Uh, even though he always said that, uh, that it was a co-creation that Stan and Steve created him together. Uh, but you know, he was never, he wasn't quick to correct him when somebody said that he created Spider-Man. Uh, so, and, and Steve obviously was not feeling appreciated uh, because, you know, he had a lot of, he had a lot to work on and Stan had a lot to work on too, because, you know, Stan was writing this comic and also 80 different other comics at the time. You know, he was doing right. Avengers and Thor and all these other, he was writing basically every comic that Marvel had. Uh, all the major ones, Fantastic Four, all this other shit. He was a very busy guy. They were both very busy. Uh, also, you know, there was the the idea that uh, I don't remember what his name was. Uh, the guy who owned Marvel at the time, the editor in chief, uh, before Stan stepped up, uh, who basically was just fucking everybody over, like wasn't paying them. Uh, there were a lot of different factors that led up to that sort of the the chafing of their relationship. Uh, eventually by, I think issue 38, like I said earlier, Steve left the comic, uh, John Romita, uh, senior stepped up. He started doing the, the, the artwork for the comic. Uh, and, uh, Steve left to go do stuff for DC and then later on, uh, go do, uh, a weird objectivist, uh, libertarian comic book called Mr. A. Uh, which is a complete freak show. If you want to read that, that's part of the inspiration for Rorschach in the uh, uh, Watchmen. Uh, and then he became uh, a curmudgeonly shut in in New York. Uh, and then he died. Uh, <laughs> and meanwhile, and then meanwhile, you know, Stan wrote a bunch of other comics and then tried to shepherd 
uh, Marvel's outside media presence, as we talked about back in the the Toei Spider-Man episode where he had a hand in trying to get that made and also in the 77 movie episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, Stan became a, ended up becoming a corporate cheerleader. Uh, and then he died. And now uh, his estate is shilling NFTs on Twitter. Uh, so, you know, hey, man, oh, my God. So, you know, this will happen to everything that you love. Uh, mm-hmm. n- nothing, nothing you enjoy uh, will be free from the taint of capital. Uh, and Kevin's asked about, like, how does it feel to see everything you ever loved go down in flames? I feel I feel great. Uh, but yeah, generally, generally that was the situation. Uh, it was a lot of Stan and Steve were both very complicated guys. There's no right. real, it, it, you know, people like to go and be like nowadays, you know, the, the, the it, things have turned around where people are like, ah, Stanley never did anything. He's an asshole. Uh, he never created Spider-Man. That was all Steve Ditko. It was, it was a mutual thing. Exactly. Uh, Stan couldn't have made Spider-Man without Steve and Steve and Steve couldn't have made Spider-Man without Stan. People take it very seriously one way or the other, whether they're right or not. They get very it's, heated over their take on it. It you with this, in this specific situation, it's it's a, you ha, really it's it's a sort of enlightened centrism that you have to go with. Exactly. Uh, of they, they they couldn't have done it without each other. Like you know, Steve you know Steve did all the plot and dr- did all this amazing artwork, but you know all of the great dialogue that wouldn't have been there without Stan. Right. Uh, it it's. It would have been, it wouldn't have been none of this would exist and would be the Spider-Man that we know and like without either of these guys. And, you know, it was a shame that their relationship, you know, deteriorated and they never really patched it up before they passed. Uh, but, you know, that's just the way things are sometimes. And uh, we just have to live with the, the body of work they've given us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very trying to decipher the story of of 60s Marvel and why. Uh, things ended up falling apart. And, you know, there's also the whole thing with, there's an even more complicated story with Stan and Jack Kirby, uh, hmm. which is an entirely different thing because Jack Kirby is, I want to, Jack Kirby's, I want to say a much more forceful personality than Steve Ditko was. Uh, hmm. Steve Ditko was very much kind of a nebbish, uh, quiet guy. Uh, but, you know, Jack Kirby was Jack Kirby, a, a big strapping Jewish man who killed a bunch of Nazis in the war. Uh, and he drew some and goddamn was, and, posters in his life. And I swear to God, his man. his head was in the shape of a square, and uh, he wasn't going to take shit from anybody. Uh, so obviously, it was a very different setup with what happened with Jack. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's a whole lot of thing. I'm I'm I don't I know there's a lot of books that have been written about this. I there's one on the tip of my tongue that I can't remember exactly. Uh, I'll try to like put it in the description of the episode. A book about early Marvel. Uh, but there's, there's lots of different resources you can read up on. A lot of this I'm getting from, uh, screw it. We're just going to talk about comics, their first season where they talk about the Lee Ditko run. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Absolutely. And again, I do appreciate it. Uh, like like we've already discussed here and there throughout the podcast, uh, there are, you know, future references in the comic to the blood work that transpired earlier in the series and here and their effects on May and the ideas behind, you know, oh, should we give her more blood? Uh, Let's not do that again. Uh, Triple first appearance, like we mentioned, of Gwen Stacy, Harry Osborn, Miles Warren. Uh, With that said, also Peter's first day at ESU. And with all of that said, the real trivia here is that this is May's third serious health condition in just 31 issues. 
this comic had only it had been around less than collectively like like not even three dozen issues and may has already been like on death's door three times which only makes like the ideas behind one more day and everything about that like come the fuck on let it go she was ready it's, to die 50 years ago of, of of all the things that i enjoy about the lee ditko run uh aunt may is like i don't really like aunt may in the lee ditko she, run because she's got balsa wood bones and brown paper skin she's like because I've I've always talked about how I like when Aunt May takes a more active and participatory role in stories. Uh, I hope you know they do something with that in in No Way Home, but I have no way of knowing uh, until you know after this episode already comes out when I've seen it. In about uh, a week. in about a week, about a week ago. Um, yeah, it's been. But uh, you know May how how May is in in these comics is she she's just. She only exists to be another thing for Peter to worry about. She doesn't have any character traits of her own other than just mm-hmm. being old and frail. And it's like she's uh, a she's a living it's, it's monument very, to the Uncle Ben mistake is what. She yeah, it's, it's it's a very two dimensional way to write a character. And obviously, you know, there's the, the focus is on should be on Spider-Man. Uh, but it I, I, I wish they could have done a, a, a more a more a more focused job. But again, this is the these are the early days. Super. Early. So. I can't really fault them for that wanting to not for one, not wanting to focus on some random side character and said, focus on fleshing out, you know, their main protagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, another brief thing we already talked about is the multiple adaptations of this comic throughout various medium. Uh, there's two we talked about and one we didn't one. I'm not sure that you are even aware existed because it's from a cartoon that is shit that neither of us have watched. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Octopus uses the Master Planner alias in the episode's reinforcement and sheer strength of the Spectacular Spider-Man, which you can hear us talk a lot about over the course of a month earlier this season. And uh, uh, I, I think, if I remember correctly, we didn't really, I at least was kind of underwhelmed by the way they did the Master Planner saga in Spectacular. That, that's, I was too. Uh, that's one of the few sour notes I have about that show, is that I, I wish they could have done this this storyline better. Yeah. It just didn't live up, I think, to what it was trying to be like, because they kind of do a little like reversal of it, kind of where, you know, Spider-Man's trapped under the debris and it's not the 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 mental like thing, the thread that guides him through this, that that monologue that guides him. It's, oh, yeah, Gwen's here. I need to. Oh, shit. Yep. I was just going to die. But you know what? I need to save Gwen. I'm going to I'm going to do this. And it's just not very weighty. It's very no, light. They, they do it. They do it way better in Homecoming. Homecoming exactly. is the best adaptation of this. Absolutely. The very even, next even thing. If I was it, even mention. if it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the original story, they just take Precisely. the part of, of 33. Yeah. Slightly different in Homecoming, like we're saying here, too. Uh, mostly just the, the pinned under rubble stuff. Less master plan. No master planner. No underwater layer. Uh, just the debris pinning, gathering enough strength to escape, but that really, I just watched Homecoming the other day, really, really lovely, uh, that, that mask in the water scene. I, I know it's half mask. Oh my God. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking come just thinking about it. I love that scene so and much. It's, just like Homecoming itself, they make a lot of changes, but they keep that core of the character. So that, that core little pearl of the character is so perfect mm-hmm. that I don't really, I, I don't really see where people are like, uh, Tony Stark's in the movie too much. It's like, it's almost as if the movies about eclipsing your mentors and expectations. You, you can, you can say that, but then you have to disregard the entire fact that that, that sequence right at the end, that and him, 
walking away from the girl of his dreams at prom to go stop this random supervillain because it's the right thing to do. That is what is so important to the character, and that overrides every other minor mm-hmm. little quibble you have about the movie. And and I'll also say four years later that that's those like the screams and cries he lets out when he's pinned. It's still fucking jarring. Four years later, that kid acted his ass off in that movie. It's so good. Tom Holland is so good, and the way that he's mm-hmm. uh, which is just turned into us gushing about how good Homecoming is. Uh, <laughs> when he's I still I still fucking think about him lifting that shit off, and he's like, "Come on, Peter, come on, Spider Man." I'm like, "Yeah, I, we will not tolerate Tom Holland slander." That's so. It's so good. Uh, and finally, an adaptation of the lifting scene appears in the episode The Hobgoblin Part 2 of the 2017 Spider-Man animated series. The Hobgoblin, dest- the Hobgoblin destroys the suspended passage's supports, and Spider-Man attempts to lift it and rescue civilians trapped in a bus underneath, ultimately gathering the willpower to do so thanks to a memory of Uncle Ben telling a young Peter that, quote, the only time you lose is when you stop trying. So there's that. I haven't seen I haven't seen that show. I've heard that it's not great, but uh sounds that, good on paper. The moment sounds good on paper, yeah. The animation style is a little a little bland to me, I think, compared to a lot of the other beautiful a, Spider-Man animation projects that exist. It is it is a modern Disney Channel animated show, so it obviously mm-hmm. doesn't look very good. Uh overall, in terms of like the 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 legacy this comic has left, uh comics historian Les Daniels noted that, quote, Steve Ditko squeezes every ounce of anguish out of Spider-Man's predicament, complete with the visions of the uncle that failed that he failed and the aunt that he's sworn to save. Writer Peter David observed that after his origin, this two-page sequence from the Amazing Spider-Man 33 is perhaps the best love sequence from the Lee Ditko era. Steve Saffel stated that the full-page Ditko image in The Amazing Spider-Man number 33 is the most powerful to ever appear in the series and has influenced writers and artists for years to come. And lastly, Matthew K. Manning wrote that Ditko's illustrations for the first few pages of this Lee story included what would become probably the most iconic scene in Spider-Man's history. It's Uh, it's really, really good. The story was chosen... Oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. Generally, in the modern era, I would say the most iconic Spider-Man scene, I think, would generally be overridden by uh, the train scene in Spider-Man 2. Probably. Uh, but, you know, I so something about it, you know, I, I, I have a lot of criticisms with the Raimi trilogy that we've talked about before. Uh, but the, something I, I really wish that he would have tried to do something like that, like do some kind of adaptation of this, because, you know, oh, if yeah. anybody's going to do melodramatic. Uh, shit like this it would be sam raimi he would be able you to can pull hear it off that, really well that, that elfman score swell when it comes oh up my god dude i i swear to god again this episode will come out by the time this episode is out we will <laughs> both have already seen the movie uh but if they have the fucking danny elfman spider-man score in no way home i'm gonna fucking blow my load in the theater it's gonna happen i, I will let out an audible groan i will pop like oh it's gonna happen like cry it's gonna happen I will be a grown child in that theater two decades later. Happen. This is my Force Awakens moment. <laughs> no one can take it from me. Only this time uh, it'll be a good movie. Oh God, please! Just kidding. I uh, like I like the Force Awakens. I I think it's fine. I'm I I'm a it's, last. It's Jedi all right. I'm I'm, I'm a. I, I like the Force Awakens. I'm I'm more of a Last Jedi guy, but uh, absolutely, this is a pro Last Jedi podcast, as we've said. <laughs> Let's 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 try to hope that this isn't like a like a like a Rise of Skywalker situation. 
Let's oh, hope, no, not possible. That. Not possible. Lastly, uh, this story was chosen as number 15 in the 100 greatest Marvel comics of all time poll in 2001. And editor Robert Greenberger wrote in his introduction uh, that the story, uh, these first five pages are a modern day equivalent to Shakespeare as Parker's soliloquy sets the stage for every next action. And with dramatic pacing and storytelling, Ditko delivers one of the great sequences in all comics. I would agree Which, with this. This is a valid statement. Hands down. Uh, that was predominantly more legacy talk than, than trivia. We got a lot of the trivia out of the way as things happen, but that's that's what I got for for Master Planner Saga. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Alex, what are what are your overall thoughts on the Master Planner Saga? I do get the hype. Uh, it, it is a very short and sweet thing. It's it clocks in at like sixty three pages, maybe with covers. Uh, it, it's not some great big grand investment of time. It's not going to like set the tone for your entire afternoon, like something like blue or Craven's last hunt would. Yeah. Um, but with that said, it, it, I think it highlights the things that make Peter work as Peter. And I think it, it shines a light on the things that make Spider-Man work as Spider-Man. And that big Venn diagram overlap is what is really on display here. Um, I the, the character is I know we say the characterization a lot, but this is this is early enough being the earliest thing we've talked about so far that this is where the stage is still being set for like what Spider-Man is and who Spider-Man is. And it just it, it comes out hard here. It, it's it, it's as iconic as everybody says, and it, you just can't buy better motivation than this. Uh, it, it, it really stands in stark contrast to what, what it's referenced in later in, you know, back in black and one, one more day. Uh, it, it, it just stands out so completely as a story rooted in what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man and the choices that go behind that and the logic that fuels those choices. And, uh, I, I highly recommend it, especially if you're into older Spider-Man comics. If you are, you've probably already read this, but I highly, highly, highly recommend uh, the Master Planner Saga. Yeah, uh, you you put it really well. Uh, this this is a really, really good story. Uh, I want I almost want to say that it's the best Stan and Steve story. Uh, I don't know. You know, the, the 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 origin is really, really good, especially for just being one comic. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just such a perfect story. But this is like you said, it's it's everything. And, and, you know, I talked about it. It's, it's everything this character should be. And I talked about it way, I think, honestly, back in the intro of the first season, uh, that it, it's kind of amazing how fully formed Spider-Man came out uh, of this. Because, you know, you talk about uh, the really early Batman comics or the really early Superman comics. And, you know, it isn't until, like, the 80s or Daredevil. And there's all these characters that, like, it, it takes a long time for them to become fully formed in the way that they are. You know, you have like, uh, yeah. Batman doesn't really fully establish who Batman is, uh, for a while. And daredevil, obviously the, the easiest one to have as an example is daredevil doesn't really become daredevil until we get to the, uh, the Frank Miller stuff. And, you know, but with this, it's like immediately first issue Every Peter Parker is a fully formed character and everything else is just riffing off of that. And there's been changes 
but it's it's essentially it's it's kind of amazing how well that you know it's it's next year will be the 60 year anniversary of this character uh mm-hmm. it's it's um, amazing how long he's stuck around in essentially the same form that he has been for 60 years uh it's not like you know batman where there was there was the campy era and then there was the dark brooding era and then there's the more fun adventure era and there's all these sorts of different things but spider-man is like one continuous uh lineage that you can trace all the way back to here and this is uh just an incredible incredible example of what stan and steve were able to do working together and how they were able to 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 put something as great as this uh together in three issues for kids in the 60s it's 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 required reading you should read this comic i think you put that really well i i can tell you care about this comic a lot it's really good uh if if you want to read them there's so many options it's online i actually have the uh the spider-man epic collections this issue, these three issues specifically, are in Volume 2, Great Responsibility, but also go pick up Volume 1, Great Power. And uh, if you want to complete complete the look, uh, you can also pick up the third volume, Spider-Man No More, which also covers the early Remita era. So all in all, those three volumes are about the first 50-ish issues of Spider-Man. Uh, I think it ends around the time Mary Jane is introduced. Uh, but those uh, that's just a one really great way to read all these. Uh, you read them online, obviously free. Uh, read these comics however you can; they're really, really great. I cannot agree more. All <laughs> right, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got a question or a comment that you want us to read on next week's episode, which is our last episode of the season, so if you've got something you really, really want to say, uh, get it in there. Send it to us. Uh, at our email address, SpideySignalsPodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us a DM on our Twitter, at SpideySignals. Again, last chance. Uh, we don't, unlike the end of last season, we don't really have any plans for a season three. We're kind of, we're facing open waters here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't know when we'll be back. Uh, but, you know, get, get, your, get your questions in now if you, wanna, if you have any. Uh, because next week, we're going to cover Spider-Man no way home. Oh boy. So until then, oh boy, oh boy, yeah. So until then, stay responsible. Oh, uh, bye. I'll take you out for a coke after class. Yoksa. Yoksa.